Are you going to sing something? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. This is like the fourth opening that we've done. This is the Word on the Hill, everybody. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mussett. We are coming to you live from just coming up to the second week of Advent. Dude, coming it's not up. really live. It's recorded. Well, it is kind of live, like in the kind of like hip hop sense of the term. Yes, I'm sure that's what everyone. We're coming to you live. Was looking for it. Oh yeah, well, but those really are live, right? <laughs> I don't. Even I'm just know. saying. By definition, we're not live. No, but that. But, but that's we okay. are excited. But by definition, we are live. This is. It just depends on how you look at it, bro. Yes. Yes, I'm looking at it incorrectly. Dude, somebody, somebody texted me um, just now from the ministry. Now, just this last week, and they they texted me bra as in b r a h. They were like, "What's up, bra?" Was it me? I, was it you? I always text you brah. Brah. It's pronounced brah. What's up, brah? Dude, and, and it just- You shouldn't tell people that I say that. I only <laughs> say it to you. I'm trying to be a professional here. <laughs> Dude, wait, uh, Meg, I have a doctorate. Our, our development director, Megan Dillon, was, uh, came to us today, and we're sending out a, like a, a mailing to all of our, all of our uh, uh, constituency all over. She's like, this letter's going to go to 10,000 people. And, and, it, like, and then she's like proofreading it and making sure that everything's said right. And- and I, I was like, I was, and I, in my thought, in my heart, and in, in mind, I was like, I was like, this goes out to ten thousand people every week, and we don't really proofread it that I hard. I do. do. What you? do you think I do all day Thursday? <laughs> Come <laughs> on, man! You totally diminished my work. Ah, uh, rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's the second Sunday of Advent, and our readings, our first readings, coming to us from the Book of Isaiah. We've been in Isaiah for the last two weeks. We're jumping all the way ahead to chapter eleven. A very familiar passage, chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Uh, nope, 1 through 10. 1 through 10. And um, I uh, read that at Mass yesterday, on nice. Tuesday. Yeah. Perfect. And then our responsorial psalm mm. is the psalm name, named uh, appropriately 72. Mm, a psalm of Solomon. And then uh, it's uh, verses 1 to 2, 7 to 8, 12 to 13, and 17, with our response circle coming from 7. Just a shell flourish. And our second reading is coming from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 4 through 9. Dude, are we doing this like too like orderly? Nope. I feel like we need Just, more banter or something. We got to roll with it. Okay. We'll banter as we go. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, we <laughs> You're just saving me time with the editing process. <laughs> That's all you're doing. That's why you're thrown off. Uh, okay. Uh, and then our gospel is Matthew 3, 1 to 12. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Um, Mm, there's so much richness in 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 the interconnectedness of these readings, and I yeah. It's one one, one of could even things. say it's like a tapestry. One might say it's like a tapestry. You, you know what I'm gonna do? Be uh, one who says that. I'm gonna come over there. I'm gonna grab a thread and I'm gonna pull. Over here. Uh huh. What does that mean? You're like a, the, the tapestry. I'm just gonna pull and it's gonna unravel and we're gonna unwind it just for everybody. Neat. Well, on that note, <laughs> on, on that I, I, really I exciting note, I don't know what to say to that. Dude, am I, how am I supposed to respond to the things that you say, dude? I have the very same feeling about what you say. At, all the time, <laughs> you, you like complain, like you're like that was I funny. 
you were like, that was funny. What was funny? I don't know. Whatever you said, but then are I don't ever laugh. Are we having a fight on air? We are having a fight on air. Well, this is, we're getting real. It's Advent. Dude, it's, it's time Advent. To get raw. <laughs> it's time to, time to be with your family. Well, <laughs> I have to say, um, Isaiah, we're in chapter 11, which means I that- I have to say. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> hey, you want me to say something else? Because no, I'll come it. over there and I'll pull that thread. Yeah, there you go. Bra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us more about chapter 11 of Isaiah. Um. Well, we th- we have to start out by it says on that day a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Yeah, and um, yeah. Oh my goodness. And so, so I like I really need you to talk to me okay. about about Jesse's stump. All right, I'd be happy to talk about to talk about Jesse's <laughs> stump, <laughs> dude. Okay, um, dude. I, th- this story though I hear is quite fell. Nice. Yeah. Well done. Uh, okay, chapter eleven. Of Isaiah is, is a pretty familiar passage to a lot of people. What's it rooted in? <laughs> Stop it. It's rooted in destruction, if you want to know the truth. The context of this passage is is sort of shocking. To be honest, yeah, but but so it, ultimately it's going to branch out puns. like way better. Oh my gosh! Stop it! <laughs> this is Advent, brah. Okay, here's what I have to say though about this passage, and I want to read a little bit of it just to just to jog people's memories about what we're talking about. Okay, this is all coming in the context, and we talked about this context a few weeks ago. All of this is coming in the context of what is called the Day of the Lord. Okay, remember what the Day of the Lord is? It's uh, talked about a lot in the prophets. Uh, the day of the Lord isn't that the crucifixion? Well, I don't mean what is it foreshadowing, but I mean oh. in you know in the text, what is the day of the Lord? Is the return of the Messiah? The return of the King? That's not how it's described. Then how's it? Do- I mean, it's it's a bad day. Oh, it's the this day, day of-, of judgment when all the wicked will be punished, all the good will be vindicated. It is the judgment day, day for in regards to the Old Testament. Day of mourning. No, we think of the. Day of the Lord, what all of those prophecies that are scattered all over the Old Testament are pointing us ultimately toward is, yes, Calvary. Jesus takes on the day of the Lord in right. his crucifixion. Okay. So you're absolutely right. But in the, you know, in the context, in the immediate context of the Old Testament is this day of judgment. So the unfulfilled Isaiah, context. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So Isaiah has just finished in chapter 10, certainly in chapter 9, talking about the day of the Lord, about how Assyria is going to be destroyed and how the kingdom of Israel and those who are wicked and all these people are going to be judged and destroyed and all this bad stuff is going to happen. Because remember, Isaiah, as we talked about last week, his vision at least spans this just tremendous amount of time. Right. He's living in the period around the time of the rise of Assyria. He's going to watch the the split of the kingdom of mm-hmm. Israel, the coming in of Assyria, the coming in of Babylon, the wiping out of the northern kingdom. He's going to see the southern kingdom getting destroyed. He sees far on the horizon and horizon in his visions how God is going to restore things. But they're at the beginning talking about the destruction of this day of judgment that's coming upon the wicked and the Israel's enemies and the enemies of the people of God. He says in the midst of that in chapter 11, then or there, shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? Well, there's there's something that's associated with a tree. Um, is he part of the family tree? Big time. Yeah, Jesse. He's a very important member of Jesse the family tree. Jesse is the son of, oh, yeah. who is the son? I, I can't remember who Jesse you're is. You're thinking in the wrong, he is the son of someone, but you're thinking in the wrong terms as far as sons. 
He's somebody's father. Um, he is David's father? Yeah, he's David's father. That's where he So goes. if you're thinking about the family tree, who is the family tree sort of rooted in? Well, I mean, you can make an argument Abraham. for Abraham. But, but Dave, I mean, what is the family called? It takes on the name of David, right? The Davidic kingship, the Davidic line. Right. So this family tree actually takes on the name of one of its sort of midpoint members, right? The Davidic line. So the tree of Jesse, it's Je- it's David's father. And that's always how that family tree is sometimes, not always, but sometimes how it's described. Our family, our kids and us, we have a Jesse tree at home, which is this little beautiful Advent tradition of telling the story of salvation history through these little ornaments and these profound moments that are leading us toward the birth of Christ. But it's basically creating the family tree. So what has Isaiah just said? If there's a shoot coming forth from the stump of Jesse, what is implied? A couple of things. First thing is that the tree has been felled. What tree? Jesse's tree. Which is what? The kingdom of David. Yeah. And just to sit on that for a second, because Isaiah doesn't actually say that. He talks about the the, the evil and the wicked. Actually, right before that, in chapter the end of chapter 10, it says, Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop the boughs with terrifying power. In great height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon with its majestic trees will fall. He doesn't say explicitly that Israel is falling. You talk about the the enemies of the Lord and the people who have been wicked and done all these things. But then in chapter 11, you pick it up and all of a sudden, all that's left of the house of David is a stump. And you're like, oh my gosh, that means what Isaiah has been talking about is the people of God are going to be felled. The people of God, Israel herself, is going to be cut down, which should utterly shock you. No matter what time period you're reading this in, but especially if you're in the original audience, you're like, oh, that's really bad news. Yeah, no kidding. Who else talks about that? That was too obscure a question. I'm, I, Jesus is the answer that I was. There, there's a lot of talk about this. But I, I re, I'm reminded of Jesus right around the time of the Passion. Remember when he goes into Israel and he sees the fig tree yeah. on the way into Israel and he sees the fig tree on the way out of, of, of Jerusalem, rather. And he pronounces a curse on it. Israel, the kingdom of David, is often likened to a fig tree. Jesus sees a fig tree. He pronounces a curse on it. And then he goes to the temple and he says, this house has become a den of robbers and thieves. And that fig tree that he cursed is dead. This is Jesus's subtle way of showing that this prophecy of Isaiah is coming true. But it comes true in levels, right? Because Israel does fall eventually to Babylon. Isaiah sees that vision. Jeremiah lives through it. So that happens, but it's also pointing ahead to something Jesus is going to do in a very, in a very distinct way. So this, this shoot coming out of, so, but there's hope embedded. So here's a principle for the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament is often very dark. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of cursing. There's a lot of punishment that happens in the Old Testament. But the principle is God only punishes for the sake of restoration. Mm. He punishes so as to restore. So if the tree of the house of David is going to be cut down... Then the house of David is going to be restored. Yeah, and that this is the first sign of that. There is a shoot that's going to come forth. There is new life. It's springing forth, and it's going to come out of that house. And then that bud is going to blossom, and then we get this, this litany of amazing traits. Yeah. And here's, here's what I... All morning... Well, for a little while this morning, I was tossing around in my head and just kind of batting this back and forth of the levels of understanding that, that we actually have in, in Isaiah. So it talks about this, this shoot that's going to come forth and the spirit of the Lord will be upon him and with wisdom and understanding and spirit of counsel. He won't judge by his eyes. He'll decide 
Uh, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness and judgment and justice and equity and all these things. I, w- I was reading this uh, yesterday at mass, yep. and uh, and I was saying to myself, wh- I was th- listening to this litany of like the the characteristics of this uh, of this shoot. I thought, man, wouldn't that be exactly how you'd want your president? Well, and that's the thing. I mean. In ancient Israel, there was no separation between religion and politics. Right. The king was the religious leader. And we'll get to that in a second. It's interesting you brought that up because that's very important with the psalm. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about the psalm. Yeah, yeah. But before we do that, I've been batting around, and I'm familiar. And then it you know, talks about the wolf will lie down with the lamb, and a little child will lead them. And you're like, oh, little children and wolves and lambs lying down together. It's with, all Christmas and these beautiful. adder's lair. I mean, like, this is the thing. As soon as you say, like, freaking poisonous, venomous snakes, dude, I tell you what, my niece and nephew play with one of those. And, like, a poisonous snake? Yeah. It's not, it's not going to be cool. Oh, if your niece and nephew play with yeah. them. I thought you said that they do. I just thought that's oh, how, yeah. how my Neil rolls. Oh, yeah, my niece and rolls. nephew, they, yeah, dude, they just like, do 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 with their whistles. For Neil these. lives on the edge a little bit. Yeah, dude, I mean, hey, this is must it living. Must it living. Okay, here's the thing. So, yeah, so there's this shoot who's going to have a spirit of counsel and wisdom and understanding and bring a peace and all of these things. So, of, of course, this is speaking on a certain level about the birth of Jesus. Israel was destroyed by Babylon. There was a remnant that came out of Babylon, reestablished Jerusalem, and out of that remnant comes the shoot, which is Jesus. That's true. Mm. But the beginning of this passage from Isaiah, or rather the previous chapter, is talking all about the day of the Lord. So what's the day of the Lord? You said it earlier. The the Passion Crucifixion. This this is I mean, yeah. There's layers of it when Israel is destroyed by Babylon and, and the Northern Kingdom by Assyria. There's levels of this Day of the Lord. There's real judgment coming. There's real consequences. Right. But the Day of the Lord, qua Day of the Lord, par excellence. I mean, the, the day is I firmly believe the day of Good Friday, the Passion, and that slightly changes the meaning of this passage then. Because yes, it's about Christmas. Yes, it's about the birth of Jesus. Yes, it's about him as the shoot. But then there's this whole other level. And if you see this tree as Jesus himself, actually the king is getting cut down in a very real way. Not just his kingdom, but the king always embodies his kingdom. Well, who is the true king? Well, Jesus is. What happens to Jesus? He is cut down. But after Jesus himself is cut down on Good Friday, what happens? Well, literally, what happens? Buried. He's buried, and then what? He rises again. Where is he buried? Do you remember? In a fresh tomb no one has been laid in. Where is the tomb? Garden of Gethsemane. It's in a garden. Remember when the oh, it's women... not a garden of Gethsemane. It's, no, it's not a, Gethsemane, it's but it is a garden. Yeah. And when the women come to the tomb to find him, and they see Jesus, and they don't recognize him, who do they think he is? Gardener. They think he's a gardener. What is Jesus? He's a new Adam. What was Adam's vocation? To be a gardener. So here is Jesus, the new gardener, buried in a garden. And what does he do on Easter Sunday? He literally rises from the ground like a shoot coming forth mm. from the ground, recognized as a gardener. Mm. What is this shoot? Well, ultimately, this shoot is going to become the church. We are, we become his body. So what this Isaiah passage is talking about is not just the birth of the Messiah, which is a huge deal, which is what Advent is leading us to, but it also points beyond Advent all the way to the crucifixion, and then it points to us, because it says if Jesus is the king who has been cut down on that day of the Lord, then you and I are part of that shoot that has risen out of the ground because we are joined to that shoot, and God is building a new kingdom, which is the church. This is... 
a foreshadowing of what the church and who the church is. Well, and let's be honest. Which I've never seen that before. Yeah, well, let's be honest about what a bud is. Okay. A bud is is the very first flowering of a branch. What is a flower (coughs) meant to do? Reproduction of the of the tree. It's Um, meant for it's meant for bearing fruit. Yeah. For bringing about flowering and for distributing seed. And to actually create something beyond itself. A bud is not self-serving. It's actually a promulgation. Interesting. Yeah. Which, again, you apply that to the church. And now you've yeah, now kind that, of that, blown open this analogy. That, that, well, that's it's what not happens. an analogy. It's a reality. Yeah. That's what, that's like, it's like a dandelion. Oh. You blow it open. And wherever you blow the dandelion things, they'll Seeds. sprout up a hundred more in your... <laughs> yeah, yard. yeah, it's it's like watching kids blow dandelions. You're like, stop! No more! It's Please true. Repent of your sin, child. So that being said, it's interesting that the church points us towards Psalm 72 as our responsorial psalm for this week, because Psalm 72, it, it I think it's one of the most interesting of the psalms for a Just lot of reasons. It shall flourish in his time. And fullness of peace forever. Do you have any idea, before I get into the context, just to test you, I'm curious, do you have any idea who Psalm 72 is written for, or written about, rather? Um, it's a little bit obscure. Jesus, obviously. But there's an immediate context as well. Um, is it a Solomon? Close. You're very close. I don't know. Solomon's son, a guy named Rehoboam. Oh, yeah. I, I was there? trying to come up with Rehoboam, but let's be honest. The Were last time right? that somebody was named Rehoboam is his the Rehoboam. Was him, because be Rehoboam shanked was pretty it, rotten. Dude. Yeah, Rehoboam dude. shanked it. I love Psalm 72 because of its its historical context. There's um, We've talked before, I think, on this podcast about how the Psalter, the, the Psalms, the, the whole of the Psalms. Not not a salt shaker. That's not, not the thing that you have at your dining room table. Right. But the book that contains the Psalms. All the Psalms. Uh, Salty. They're, they're organized into five books or five major parts. So the Psalms are written over the course of Israel's history, right? From David, a lot of David, here's Solomon, other writers, choirs. But they're compiled and they're put together in the time of the exile. Mm. And the, the, the wise sages put them together and said, okay, here's how we should organize mm-hmm. these, these psalms, these hymns that have been written over the course of our history in a way that actually makes sense, that has a pedagogy. So they're arranged in these five books, and the five books tell the story of salvation history from the point of view of the exile, right? So book one and two, the first two chunks of psalms, okay. are often taken together. They're, they're distinct books, but they're meant to be read together. And they're all psalms about the kingdom, the glory days, the heyday, right? The, the halcyon days of Israel, when they had kings and a kingdom and everything was good. And then around book three, they start to get very dark and dismal. And you've got the exile and you have God, why is this happening to us? And where yeah. have you gone? And why have you abandoned us? And then it goes on from there. But Psalm 72 closes out it's the last psalm of the first two books. So Psalm 2, so okay, Psalm 1 is sort of a precursor, a, a prologue to the whole thing. Really, the first psalm of book 1 is Psalm 2, which is a psalm of Solomon, or so, rather, a psalm of David written to be performed, presumably, on the day of Solomon's coronation. 
the oh. coronation of his son. That is when Psalm 2 would have been proclaimed, okay. when Solomon was made king. It's also what God quotes at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved, beloved son. son. Listen to him. So, yeah. Because there's kingly, you know, royal coronation imagery. Now, Psalm 72 is the parallel to Psalm 2. And instead of being the psalm that David wrote to be saying to his son Solomon, it's the psalm that Solomon writes or has composed to be written and read and sung at the coronation of his son Rehoboam. Oh. And they're very parallel, but there's a specific context. But what it says is stuff like just, like you read, justice will flourish in his time, the fullness of peace forever. Oh, God, give your judgment to the king uh, and your justice to the king's son. Let him govern your people with justice, your afflicted ones with judgment. Let justice flower in his days, profound peace till the moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> the two big themes that are coming up in these first two stanzas yeah. are, number one, the expansion of the kingdom. Right. Let this kingdom be from sea to sea, from the ends of the earth, which does not happen under Rehoboam. No. And the other thing, you see this combination of words that shows up a lot in Psalm 72, and the, the our reading jumps around a little bit. But whenever in Hebrew you see the terms judgment and righteousness, or I'm sorry, justice and righteousness together— it actually has a very specific meaning. Remember, Hebrew is a weak language, so one or two words can mean a lot of different things. I always, I always considered rather than weak language, I call it a rich language. Well, weak in the sense that the vocabulary is small. Yeah, but so the but richness because one word can mean, mean a whole, many things. Yeah, no, a whole, you're contain right. a whole universe. There's a Absolutely. lot of microcosms contained within each word. So when you see justice and righteousness show up together, okay, do you know what that means? It's always a signal about a particular attribute of a king. Hesed. Uh, close. Justice and righteousness, though, that's steadfast love or, or kindness, which is related to this. But whenever you see justice and righteousness, it tends to be <coughs> in relation, <coughs> excuse me, in wow. relationship. I don't know. I just wanted to make you feel better. In his relationship to the poor, the poor, the downtrodden, specifically Psalm 72 talks about his uh, working with the afflicted. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's very specific. And even in other cultures, this isn't unique to Israel and Syria and Babylon and Mesopotamia. They would talk about whether or not a particular king showed justice and righteousness to the people under him. And that was one of the marks of a good king. Do you care for the poor? Yeah. Now, the irony of this is this is being prayed for Rehoboam on the day of his, his enthronement. May your kingdom expand from sea to sea. May your kingdom just grow and grow. And may you have justice and righteousness toward the afflicted. Do you remember the story of Rehoboam? It's a really interesting story. Well, I can bet from how you just introduced it. Right. Is that he shrank the kingdom, got exiled stuff, and then... Well, more than that, what is Rehoboam famous for? There's one thing that happens under Rehoboam that's more important than anything else that happens. Esther? No. No. Something takes place in the kingdom that we talk about almost every week on this podcast, or at least we reference it. Israel's civil war. The oh, kingdom is not doesn't divided. expand, but it divides yeah, the under two. Rehoboam. And it's this great moment. It's a great moment in the sense of it's historically significant. It's a sad moment, though, yeah. where um, Solomon dies. Rehoboam has become king now. And he looks out and he's like, well, how should I govern and um, he goes to these wise men, the people who counseled his father, and he's like, what kind of a king should I be? And they're like, you should show mercy to the poor and care for people and build up the lowly and so then they will respect you as king and you'll be great to them. And he's like, okay, that's one point of view. Then he goes to all of his frat buddies or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what do you guys think? 
And he's and they say you you know if somebody wants you to care for them you you say my father Solomon put a yoke on you I'm gonna put a yoke on you that's ten times as heavy and I'm gonna make you suffer and I'm gonna make you pay for any you know thought that I'm gonna be careful and caring and kind to you I am the king you respect me don't mess with me no. and what pre there, there's a precursor to this there's there's a, a a guy named Jeroboam just to make things confusing who God actually comes to and says hey. I'm going to take the kingdom out of Rehoboam's hand because he's a jerk and I'm going to give it to you, but I want you to go to him and I want you to challenge him to be a good king so I don't have to do this. So Jeroboam is like, hey, be a better king, Rehoboam. And he's like, no, I'm going to make your burden 10 times worse because you asked me. And because he afflicts and does not show justice and righteousness, the kingdom is divided and you have a civil war. So literally, I mean, think about this. You're reading this from the point of view of the exile of Israel. And you're looking back and you're like, man, this was literally sung at Rehoboam's coronation, at the temple, before God, that his kingdom would expand and that he would care for the afflicted. And we know the story and we know that he embodied the opposite of that. Yeah. And this is the psalm that ends book two and begins all of the psalms of mourning over the loss of Israel. And you got to read this and be like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Yeah. And then you read it on another level and you're like, well, at the end of the day, this is not just about Rehoboam. This is obviously because Rehoboam is the opposite of this. It's not about Solomon. It's not about David. Right. None of them live up to this. And this psalm is meant to make you long and hunger and thirst for someone that will begin to live up to what this psalm prays. Yeah. And you got to ask this question, like, is there no one who can do this? Will God give us no king who actually lives up to this? And of course, we because we read this in Advent as we prepare for the coming of the king that this is ultimately written about. Absolutely. It begins to change the whole scheme of it. Yeah. So thinking in, in terms of Isaiah about what's going to happen to this kingdom, here's how it happens in Psalm 72. But this embedded hope within the sorrow of Psalm 72 of the way that God's going to make it right. And that's sort of where we're left. And that's what leads us then to the New Testament readings. Which Does that is, make sense? Yeah, yeah. because contained within it is is actually the sonship that we, we were talking about, how Abraham is really father. We're talking about lineage and, and that like... The which real, is going to come up in the gospel. Which is the blessing of God is really meant to be, have worldwide blessings. So it says the very last line, in him shall all the tribes of the earth be blessed. All nations shall proclaim his happiness. Um, yes, and and that like like we're, we're pointing forward prophetically, of course, towards Christ, but we're leaning back into the rootedness of the promises that God poured out into the blessing He gave to humanity, which leads us in, but, into, of course, the uh, the God into the God in Romans. I'm sorry. Well, that's the thing about Romans is that everything you said is true, but then Romans throws us a curveball. I know. Come on, Romans always throws you a curveball. That's but the in job a good way. of Romans. Well, it is because it's trying to mess with you. With it's Romans is doing a good it, job of it's messing. like reading. It's like reading reading uh, Giassani. It's like reading Giassani. It wants to mess with you. Yeah, it, it it's just trying it's, to it's change gonna your, reconfigure your yeah, your thoughts. It wants to challenge your assumptions. Absolutely. Because everything you just said is true. That God is set to this nation whose father is Abraham, who is embodied in David, who has been cut down, God is going to restore and build back up. The tree will grow again, right? That's what Isaiah tells us. Even though the tree was cut down, it's going to grow back. But then what Paul does in Romans is tell you, but what you thought the tree was is actually slightly incorrect. The tree is meant to look differently than you thought it was. And so what Paul does 
So he, he begins by saying, whatever was written previously was written for your instruction. So that stuff that you read in Isaiah about the cutting down of the tree and it growing back, that stuff that you read in Psalm 72 about the sorrow and the tragedy of these kings who did not live up to what they were called for, that's all for your encouragement and for your instruction so that you may not do what they did, so that you may build up, that you may have hope, and that the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to think in harmony with one another and keeping with Jesus Christ— and then it jumps, we jump forward, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a minister to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, the circumcised to the Jews, to confirm the promises to the patriarchs, but so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Here's what Israel in the Old Testament didn't understand. And here's what, quite frankly, a lot of Israel in the church in the New Testament didn't understand either. Or us today sometimes. Or us today is that the new Israel, the Catholic Church, the Christianity is not just the continuation of Judaism. It is something far beyond it. It is a kind of a kingdom that is supposed to reach from sea to sea. And every time Israel became insular and looked only upon themselves, they lost sight of what their kingdom was supposed to be, which was a light to shine forth to the nations. And not just a light to the nations, but the means to bring the nations back to their one true home. So the point, and Paul actually, this is a, one of the most important sections of Romans, this is his conclusion when he wraps up this long theological document he's just written. And basically he says, look, this, uh, the context of Romans is that there's Jewish Christians, so Christ people who believe in Jesus who come from Jewish background, and then Gentile Christians, so Christians who are coming from non-Jewish backgrounds, who are really having a hard time getting along in the church because they're at each other's throats and they don't yeah. understand how yeah. they can actually reconcile these things that seem unreconcilable. And Paul says, you know what? From the beginning, God intended that the Gentiles be a part of this family tree. From the beginning, God wanted the other nations grafted onto the tree of David. A worldwide blessing. A worldwide blessing from the time of Abraham. And what he does in this section, for all the people who don't quite believe him, is go through, and this only gives us the first quote, but he quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Deuteronomy. He quotes from the Psalms. He quotes from basically every corner of the Old Testament scriptures yeah. to show that, look, there's nowhere in the Old Testament you can look that don't say that God wants the Gentiles to come into the family. Right. Because there's certain Christians at the point where we are in Romans who are like, look, it's great if these people want to come and be baptized, but they're not really a part of the family. Like, we'll let them in. They can attend things. They can kind of have, you know, honorary memberships, but they're not Israel. And Paul's like, no, they're Israel. That was the intention from the beginning, right. going back to Abraham for Pete's sake. <clears throat> so this tree that is growing, that has come forth out of the tomb where Jesus was buried, this tree that is the Catholic Church, it's meant to have many branches. Right. And to the degree that you want to cut branches off that God has brought on, then you are sinning profoundly against God's plan. And that's as harsh as Paul actually gets, which I think is a good lead into Matthew. And this very interesting scene, I always I wondered, why does the church point us to Jesus' baptism? Why is that the logical conclusion of this sequence of readings today? Dude, well, you've asked that question, so I am looking forward <coughs> to an answer because I because I'm looking at that and I, and I I'm not piecing it together. Well, there's lots of levels. Um, and here's some thoughts that I have. 
So yes, ultimately this day of the Lord that Isaiah is pointing toward is Calvary. Okay. But there's a lot of layers of fulfillment before that. So okay. on, a, on a very real level, Isaiah is, as we said, and this is why we're reading him in Advent, this shoot that's going to come forth from the cut down Israel is Jesus himself. Yes. His birth. He is going to be born. So now Matthew is pointing us toward the beginning of that story, which is going to lead us toward the ultimate day of the Lord in which Jesus takes on all of the kingdom and all the curses upon himself. And is felled in a very real way. But before all that, we read that, okay, John the Baptist appeared. And he was preaching in the desert of Judea. And he said, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven, heaven is, is at hand. hand. The very first words out of John the Baptist's mouth in the gospel are repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first words about a chapter later in chapter four, the first words out of the mouth of Jesus, the first thing he says is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's the same thing. Matthew was written to Jews who did not like to use God's name, so he calls it the kingdom of heaven. But what Matthew and what Jesus and what John the Baptist are all saying is this kingdom that you've been waiting for that was cut down, it's it's back. And it's not just back, it is literally at hand. It's within reach. You can reach out and grab it. It's so accessible to you, but you might not recognize it yet. So these words are reverberating in Matthew's mind, coming out of their mouths. And John is saying, okay, this kingdom, it's, it's here. And he says it was of him that the prophet had spoken when he talked about a voice crying out in the desert, preparing the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. He says, I'm the one who God was preparing for this shoot. Before the shoot came, there was a preparer. There was a messenger mm. who's telling you the shoot is coming. That's me. And it describes his clothing. John the Baptist is dressed like Elijah, who was said by the prophets to be the precursor to the Messiah, all these things. But it says that all the region of Judea, all these people were coming out to be baptized in the Jordan as they acknowledged their sins. Mm. They're confessing their sins. They're being baptized. It's not the same kind of baptism that we have as Christ- as Catholics, right? No. Honestly, for, for lack of a better analogy, what John the Baptist is doing is probably more akin to a, a mainstream Protestant baptism. So we believe as Catholics that when we're baptized, we literally have an ontological change. We're different. Meaning Our souls that, meaning are that, affected. Yeah, that the being has changed. Ontology right. is the study of being. Right. Um, whereas, so an uh, ontological change means that you are fundamentally a different person. This different substance today of your than life I was yesterday. Changed. Yeah. But I'm not quite who I am, what I want to be. That's not what John is doing. That's what Jesus will do. That's what he'll establish. What John is doing is, again, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but what, oh. what a lot of our Protestant friends do when they baptize, it's a confession of sin and an outward sign This is I want to be committed to this. Right. Most of our Protestant friends don't believe that there's an ontology, that you're a change in your being when you're baptized. They believe it's this outward sign, I'm proclaiming that I want to live this way. Right. That's what John's baptism is. A lot of people have questions about that. They're ignoring acknowledging their sins. They're saying, I'm a sinner. I want to be made right with God. John, can you help me? But then while that's happening, it says he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But then the Pharisees and the Pharisees and Sadducees are coming. The Pharisees and Sadducees hate each other, by the way. And the only thing that you need to say that 10 times fast for me, though, Pharisees and Sadducees hate each other. No, no. Like Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees. It really is hard. (laughs) Are you falling asleep? No, it's cool. Okay, the Pharisees and Sadducees hate each other. They're these they're diametrically opposed political parties in Judaism. 
um, who who really do hate each other. They are the powers that the Sadducees are the powers that be. Yeah, the Sadducees the are, the are the ones that have engaged like, with the stink. Romans. The Pharisees are the ones who the collaborators. Up, the collaborators. <clears throat> they're the ones who. Uh, and then the Pharisees are the ones who've taken up the priestly laws. Yeah. But but applied them to everybody. And both mo- of them. And their mom. Now both of them are coming out to see John the Baptist, and you get the impression in Matthew that they're not necessarily coming out to be baptized or to. Acknowledge their sin, well, more sort of, of like curiosity. They're curious, and just like trying to like hang out. I don't even know if it's a curiosity. Understand? I'm not even sure if it's a curiosity and a, a wanting to understand more, as much as it is like an investigation. Like, what is this guy up to? We want uh, to know yeah. what's going on. That's the sense because then John sees him coming, and he's like, "You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath." Produce good fruit as, as evidence of your repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, "What we have Abraham as our father." These people yeah. are coming and professing their sins, saying we want to be made right. John is saying the Pharisees and Sadducees are like, we're cool because Abraham is our father. And he's this saying, is the no. problem. He's like, he's like, own your stuff, <clears throat> confess your sins, and only then, because because this is a very bold proclamation of faith. He's coming as Elijah, but he's also saying your lineage won't save you. Right, your patriot, your your heritage, your bloodline is not going to save you. It, it, it's it's like this. That's funda- not what the tree of the, Israel is. The fundamental shift that you're talking about with Israel, which is this moment where, it's the blessing isn't something to be contained and to be um, harbored, but yes. it's the blessing is something that's actually meant to overflow and to pour outward. Yes, exactly it's, right. It, it, it's it's like <laughs> we're looking at Rabohuam and we're saying like no. <laughs> Sorry, it's close it enough. Okay, Rehoboam. 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 Dude, he's a bum. Mm. But like uh, Rehoboam, uh, throw him a bone. And um, Rehoboam uh, is not, he didn't expand the kingdom and he didn't protect the weak and the lowly. And Despite the fact that he was Solomon's son. Exactly. And, didn't do and, it. And, and that's precisely what's happening is that there's a group of people who are relying on the Rehoboam exactly um, right. the methodology <laughs> rather than actually engaging with what's supposed to be happening. That's exactly right. And in response to that, John says, John the Baptist says, I tell you, even God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now, he's standing on the banks of the Jordan River. He must have been hanging out in Boulder. Do you know what the stones are, though? Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw uh, you did that. The stones of the temple? No. He's on the bank of the Jordan. And there's there's a, the story, if you remember back in, is it Joshua? Uh, remember when they cross? So there's two. Oh, yeah. And they, they put 12 stones exactly uh, right. to, to cross the priestly people on. It's not even that. It's just to recall that this is the moment that we crossed from slavery to freedom. Oh, yeah, that's right. They, is, they put him in the river to yeah, remember the moment. Exactly. And that's what John is pointing to. He's like, those stones which reminded you of your movement from slavery to freedom, which reminded us that God has brought us from exile to our home, even they will cry out. The, the stones are actually pretty significant. But he says, even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. So he's very close to Isaiah here. The axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What is he referencing? I mean, he's talking about Jesse's tree. Yeah. And and then, but this, but, but isn't that beautiful that what we're seeing is this sprout that has what a bud on it, a blossom. But yeah, but even more for fruitfulness. Yes. But even more than that, he's talking about a future event. So the tree of Israel has been cut down in the Babylonian exile. That happened. Yeah. It's being built back up. Jesus says it's going to happen again. The temple will be destroyed. But ultimately, 
he's pointing toward this day of the Lord when the axe will lie the tree and every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down. John sounds like the Old Testament prophets. Yeah. But what is the day of the Lord? I mean, we've been talking about that. Are you trying to get yeah. to the actual day of the Lord? Yeah, now? absolutely. Yeah, is, is Good Friday, the passion and death of Jesus Christ. So what is John the Baptist, whether he realizes it or not, actually saying? Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Your sins, Pharisees and Sadducees, the co- corporate sin of Israel that will not acknowledge what I'm doing right. and the Messiah that I'm pre- preparing the way for is actually going to be felled on behalf of you. He will be cut down. Mm. He will bear the axe. He will be thrown into the fire to take on what you have done. I mean, he's pointing ahead to this profound moment. Yeah, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're going to pay. The temple will be destroyed. Jerusalem will go to a pretty bloody war. That's all going to happen. But ultimately, all of this punishment that John the Baptist is speaking of will be carried on Jesus' own shoulders. And it will be nailed to the cross with him. And he says... This one is coming who is mightier than I am, not even worthy to carry his sandals. Carrying the sandals is the one thing even a Jewish slave wasn't allowed to do because it was too lowly a task. But he's like, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John repeatedly in this passage is using the term fire in a couple of different ways. <clears throat> Both the fire of punishment and of sin that's going to have to be paid yeah. for, yep. but also the baptism of Jesus. And so what essentially John is saying is that Jesus, this Messiah, is going to baptize you with water and with fire and the Holy Spirit. It's the same fire of punishment that he's going to take on on your behalf. His baptism of fire represents the fire that is due to Israel's sin. That is who's coming. That's whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and carry. Dude, that's awesome. Which is pretty neat. That's like that kind of blows it the whole thing open. It blows it right open. I mean, that because it, it's it's not just some sort of abstract flowery speech. Yeah. But that it's it's actually referring back to this really profound prophetic message, but that the reality is is that Jesus Christ has borne our sins and that that in the day of the Lord, this day of wrath, this day of mourning hmm. is uh is something that Jesus Christ takes on freely. He lays down his life of his own accord. Yes, exactly right. For the salvation of his little lambs. Which is what we need to have in the back of our minds as we prepare for for Christmas and Advent. Right. Not just a cute little little baby who's being born, not just mistletoe and tinsel, but ultimately what we're preparing for is the entering into the world of the one who will take all of all of this. The right. one who will be everything that Rehoboam was not, because right. Rehoboam could not stand to sacrifice anything, even his own pride. Right. We're waiting for the Messiah that is the, abs- the abject opposite of that, who will take on that fire, who will do all that we're preparing for. That is what Advent is made to sort of start to get us excited about. Right. Not just the birth, but ultimately the passion as well, because it is one massive movement. Yes. This sprout that is being born into the world, we are also embodying, because yeah. then we participate in being that sprout, which is meant to grow and flourish and be like the dandelion and the little seeds that grow everywhere because they're unstoppable. You can't kill the dandelion seeds. They're everywhere, and I've tried to pick every one of them out of our yard. They just don't stop. That is what the gospel is. Right. It is unstoppable because it has that much power. That's what we're getting ready for. Yeah. So 
So thank you for joining us and listening to this wonderful episode of The Lanky Guys. Um, you get 10% off at Sprouts this week. Um, <laughs> the grocery store. That's a lie. I do, you don't actually get that. No, you don't. But it would be sweet if we could. If I would have had the foresight, I would have totally asked them. I'd be like, can, we have a podcast. Could you get 10% off on your groceries? This, you can this, just go and ask them if you this, want to. This sprout from the stump of Jesse. <coughs> you could say, hey, I got a Jesse tree. There's a sprout, and it's your name. You can give us some free stuff. They probably will. Me- meanwhile, while you're doing that, you can join us at St. Thomas Aquinas um, by uh, signing up to be a donor and joining us to help the produce podcasts that convert uh, breaking open the wood word for RCIAs everywhere, for people who study us, for um, um, uh, homeschool moms, for homeschool dads, for um, unwitting child listeners, for kids who <laughs> laugh at our silly jokes everywhere. So thank you for all of those who have already signed up. And thank you for all of those who um, haven't are not putting it off and are doing it right now as you're listening to the end of this podcast. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Unless the parousia happens. Yes. Farewell. Bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week. <laughs>